invite you to take them out and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we'll be spending um, most of our time this morning. Thank you, Jay, for reading that out of Hebrews. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 11 through 15. And so as the church has been mentioned, we are going through the Ten Commandments as we see them in Deuteronomy, okay? And uh, the first commandment we saw couple weeks ago, God is interested in the object of our worship. He wants to be the sole source of our worship. Real quick, time out. Are kids dismissed? Do they know that? Okay, great. If they don't, you know now. All right. Um, God is interested in being the sole object of our worship. Okay? He's interested in the object of our worship in the first commandment. Second commandment we looked at and informs us on the how of worship. How do we approach God, specifically not through images as replacements to God or as a means by worshiping the one true God. We worship him as he has prescribed for us in his word, not according to images. Okay? Last week we considered God's name. And the challenge for us last week was that we were to take God's name seriously, not just in our speech, but also throughout all of our lives as a way of honoring and obeying the third commandment. The fourth commandment, or the fourth word, God will begin to meddle. He's going to meddle with your schedule. Okay? With the fourth word, we'll discover that God is concerned, as a, as a means by which we keep those other three commandments, he's going to help us practically make sure that we take God seriously with all of our lives by directing how we use our time. Okay? So I'm going to read this quickly. I, I, sorry, I keep saying quickly. I shouldn't say quickly. I'm going to read this as quick or as slow as I want to. All right? This is God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11, sorry, verse 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant or your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now that you would take these words, which are eternal and true. Lord, we ask that you would use them, that you would write them on our very hearts that you would form us, shape us into the people that you have called us to be. Help me to be faithful to your word and to this text right now. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, in Greek mythology, there is a king named Sisyphus. Sisyphus was an interesting individual who was good at the art, if you want to call it that, of deception. In fact, Sisyphus was able to, to uh, sort of cheat death twice. And as a result, he was punished. Sent to the underworld eternally with a particular task. Sisyphus's task was, I'm going to try to say his name as few times as possible, okay? His task was this. He had a large boulder, 
His assignment was to push the boulder up a hill with all his might, with all his energy, laboring step after step after step. Everything that he had went into this boulder moving up the hill. Well, wouldn't you know it, right before he would reach the top of the hill, the boulder would roll back down. Sisyphus would wake up the next day and do the exact same thing. His version, sort of, of hell was eternally pushing a large rock up a hill. Well, odds are you and I will probably never be assigned such a task. Odds are that you and I can relate on some level with our friend Sisyphus. The idea of engaging in a job or a work that never seems to stop. For example, uh, my wife and I have five children, and one of the things that I've noticed is they, they consume a lot of dishes, okay? I don't know if you guys have kids. It's just one person. I mean, just the amount of dishes, it's unbelievable you can go through. I mean, you can spend an hour washing and drying and cleaning and putting the dishes away just for two hours later. There are suddenly 27 cups and 32 bowls puking out of the sink. What in the world is happening? How many dishes do you need to eat a bowl of cereal? You know what I'm saying? It's just endless over and over and over, never stops. Or one of my favorite, I shouldn't say favorites, another version of this is the turning off of lights that I never understood, like parents, what the type of activity we would have to engage in repeatedly to our insanity, walking around the house constantly, like why do you have to have 10 lights on in a room at 11 o'clock in the morning? You know what I'm saying? Just every room you go, switch off. First thing I did when I woke up this morning, switch that one, switch that one off, switch that one off. Constantly turning off lights. It's laborious, it's exhausting. Or even just the simple task of feeding people. It's a lot of work. And you know what? They, they constantly need to be fed. You and I, we constantly need to be fed, right? I mean, it's just like you, you, you prepare, you plan a meal, you buy the food, you prepare the meal, and then you eat it. And it's almost like, is this worth it? You know what I'm saying? Can we just shut this down and would it go easier? It's exhausting. One meal after another. Just being a human being can be exhausting let alone when you start to think about our careers and, and your job maybe. Um, think about the endless emails or the phone calls or the clients that are constantly demanding your attention. Think about the papers that are just endless that you constantly have to write. People to care for, houses to be built, buildings to be cleaned. Work goes on and on and on and never seems to be finished. It's because of that that the fourth commandment comes to us this morning just as it is a gift from God. A gift that comes to us in a hurried, fast-paced world and says, slow down. It's a gift. It's a gift to us and a reminder that sometimes 
you just need to take a nap. And that's okay, just not right now, okay? About 30 more minutes left of this, all right? So as we consider the fourth commandment, what ultimately is God saying to us? Ultimately, this is what he's commanding. He is commanding to us in the fourth commandment that we are to rest from our labor and trust in our God. Rest from our labor, trust in our God. And we'll see how those two things go hand in hand. To consider this together, we'll look at first the principle of Sabbath rest, then the purpose of Sabbath rest, and then finally the practice of Sabbath rest. What is the principle at the heart of the fourth commandment? Um, over the years, we've taken groups of kids from here to a camp in near Branson, Missouri area. And the camp is awesome. We've talked about it before, lots of activity. One of the things that just strikes you right away is the way that they could just jam-pack a schedule. It's just one thing after another. Constant activity, just constantly, except for one hour in the day. They have something called F-O-B, which stands for flat on back. And for one hour, they require the students, the campers, to lay down on their back, and the counselors get a bit of a break. And so they just lay in there. And the a couple of times throughout the week, we, we go there and we drop the kids off and then the adults stay and kind of have what they call a bubble bath in Jesus. Just relax and eat good barbecue and have friendship and that type of thing. But for twice out of the week, we come together with our campers and we kind of process how you doing, what are you learning, all that type of stuff. And at the beginning of the week, it, it never seems to, to not be this way. At the beginning of the week, the campers, when you ask them how their week was, they just loathe FOB. I want nothing to do with flat on back. I want to be playing basketball, going to the pool, in the lake, doing all this other stuff. Flat on back is not popular. By the end of the week, my oh my, how the story has changed. Suddenly, flat on back is like the most popular time of the week, a time to give a, get a break, to get rest. And it is a gift from the camp to the campers, whether they know it or not. This is really what at the heart of this Sabbath principle. It is a precious gift from God to the people of God, a gift in which he invites us to stop from the endless cycle of work and to trust in God by entering into his endless rest. True rest is what he offers to us today. If you just look at the commandment, a couple of things to point out. First of all, is this is the first one that's not doesn't start off in the negative Right? This is the first one that's in the positive. The other was do not, do not, do not. This one says observe, begins observe the Sabbath day, or depending on your text, remember. It's, it's presented to us as it is in the positive sense, for our good. This idea of remembering communicates not just a calling to our mind, but also a practice. Keep, remember, do. The word Sabbath itself means cease, to stop. We're told in the commandment to keep it as it is holy, to, to set it aside, set it apart from the other days. It's, it's a holy day. When we think of holiness, it's helpful for me to think of holiness sort of in two categories. It is, on one hand, special to the Lord, which is what the Sabbath day is. Take one day, set it aside, declare it holy, special to God. It's his day. Holiness includes something being set apart for God. It's special. But it also has another sort of meaning. Not just is it special to God, holiness is also strange to the world. So as Christians, we're called to be holy people, special to God, simultaneously strange to everybody else around us. Okay? Some of you do that really, I'm just kidding. I, I'm pretty strange as well. Okay? 
Now, if you were to go back into when the Sabbath was given, there was no precedent or parallel which would have influenced this pattern, this tradition, this commandment. If you look at the survey, the cultures around Israel, there was no other culture which would have included such a commitment to rest that it would be baked into their calendar. This is, be sure of it, a uniquely biblical concept which has spread and influenced really the entire world or a vast majority of it. The Sabbath rest finds its sort of rootings, its footings, all the way back in creation. And you see this especially in Exodus, which we'll see in a minute. But to really understand, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of time. Genesis 2-3, we're told, God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work, all that he had done in creation. Six days of creative work and activity for God, one day of rest. From creation, God established a pattern of working for a period of time and then resting. Long before God commanded his people to remember the Sabbath at Mount Sinai, we see that the Sabbath principle is at work all the way back at the very beginning of the world. That's why in Exodus 20, at the issuing of the Decalogue, God says, remember, because they had a reference point to go back to and to think about. It wasn't being called into existence, but rather it was being reinforced. It was being institutionalized within their tradition. In fact, Exodus 20, this is precisely what Moses points to. God's rest at creation. In 20 verse 11 says, For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that was in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We see the Sabbath principle at work all the way back at the beginning of time. But it's not just find, it doesn't just find its, root, its footings in creation, but also in redemption, which is the unique light that Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11 through 15 shines on the Sabbath. This is what's different. What's, if the, other, the other commandments to this point have been word for word. The fourth commandment in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 changes. Listen to what's different about it says, you shall remember, he says. He doesn't point back to creation. Moses instead points back to their redemption. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God's purposes in the Sabbath don't just find themselves in creation, but also in his redemption. Not just in his creative activity, but also in his saving grace. It's so important for us to remember. We went back to the beginning of this series. One of the things that, that we talked about primarily was we have to remember that the law came not as a means for their salvation, but rather as a result of their salvation. Remember, God's people weren't in Egypt, and God came down to them and said, listen, I'll cut a deal with you. I've got these 10 laws. I think they're pretty good. If you follow them, then I will let you go. That's not what God did. Rather, the Bible says he heard their cry. He knew their plight. He saw their suffering. And out of his own grace and mercy, he delivered them. And then after their redemption, come the Ten Commandments as a way to govern and direct the way they are to live now as God's redeemed people. And when they actually embrace this lifestyle, when they are obedient to these commandments, what happens is that God's redeeming work is put on display for the whole world to see. 
It's a, it's a reminder that's built into the very fabric of their lives that would keep them from forgetting how God had made them and how God had saved them. That's what the Sabbath was, a constant reminder. God is your creator. God is your redeemer. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Just like when you see a rainbow in the sky, your mind should go instantly to the promise that God made with Noah. So too, when you stop and rest and give a day to the Lord, your mind should go immediately to God's saving grace. It's, what it should, it's, a, it's a covenant sign that God gave to Moses. Okay, That's, that's what it was in the Old Testament. So as we transition, if you consider this principle, what does it look like in the New Testament? Does the Sabbath still hold? Well, the answer is yes. But Jesus radically redefines what the Sabbath is. He redefines it. Jesus does not come, he tells us himself, to abolish the law. He says so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Rather, he comes to fulfill the law. So he doesn't come and make it go all the way. Rather, he comes and says, that Sabbath that you've been embracing, celebrating, is right here, fully embodied in a way that you have never known before. Not only did he not abolish the law, but we're also told as we read through the scripture that he never violated the law, never violated it. So Jesus himself was a Sabbath keeper. But in doing so, as he kept the Sabbath, if you read through the Gospels, what you notice is that it caused quite a bit of controversy. In Mark chapter 2, the story is told of Jesus walking through the grain fields with his disciples, and the disciples reach up and pluck off the tops of the grain. And the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, see this, and they're like, Jesus, what are you going to do? This is the Sabbath. We're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, and your disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath. What do you have to say about it, Jesus? Well, this is what he had to say. The Sabbath was made for man. Remember, we said it was a gift given to man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. If you were to just continue to read on in Mark, Jesus would then go in chapter 3 and heal a man who had a withered hand. Again, the religious elite did not like it. They did not like that Jesus was, was healing on the Sabbath. It rebuked him. See, the religious people of the day loved the Sabbath and all the rules that went into what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. They embraced it, expanded on it. Why? Because they saw it primarily as a means for their justification, the keeping of the law. And the Sabbath was an outward. This, this is really what they enjoyed. Because the, see, the first commandment, if you keep God first in your life, if you honor nothing above God, you keep him above everything else, that's very much an inward reality, right? Certainly there's outward, you can see implications, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the way you treat people. Certainly there's outward evidence of an inward reality. But the Sabbath, the Sabbath is uniquely external. It is uniquely visible. It was something that could objectively be be, be measured. It was something as a result then that could also be shown off, right? Who, who keeps the Sabbath? Who's a good Sabbath keeper? And they were so caught up in that outward expression that that became the whole meaning behind the Sabbath. 
And Jesus comes along and he says, why are you so concerned with these rules that you've expanded the Sabbath on when you lack mercy and love, which ultimately should be what's in your heart? For Jesus, Sabbath keeping was a day for doing good, not just a duty. It was a day for the promotion of good. In the New Testament, if you keep reading, Paul additionally provides guidance for us in his letters on how to understand the Sabbath as New Testament Christians. Romans 14.5, he says this, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The early church, if you think about the early church, this group of individuals that came from some Jewish culture and Jewish tradition and background who would have had a good understanding of Sabbath, good cultural practicing, those who were Gentiles were mixed up with them, who, who would have lacked that same tradition and culture. The Sabbath was certainly one of the things that they had to figure out. Some will honor certain days, others will choose not to. What's your responsibility? According to Paul, according to God's word, don't judge others for their view on how to treat certain days. Again, in Colossians, Paul provides a good example for us. Therefore, no one should pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So don't cast judgment on how people view those things. Then he says this, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance ultimately belongs to Christ. They're but a shadow. As you go into the Old Testament, as you understand the Sabbath principle, it is ultimately a shadow. It is a sign, an indicator pointing to the fulfillment, the substance of that shadow, which is Christ himself. So, for example, go to Yellowstone. There's multiple entrances into the park. If you go up to the Yellowstone Park, you will discover, regardless of what entrance you come in, you will see some form of a sign. Usually it's wood, brown, with yellow writing. Welcome to Yellowstone, the National Park, Yellowstone. Okay? Welcome. And what you will see also there is by the sign, you will see people pulled over. They will be around the sign. They will be taking pictures of themselves in front of the sign. Hey, we're at Yellowstone. This is fantastic. Memory, making memories. Yada, yada, yada. It's great. It's an awesome moment. Now, could you imagine with me? It's like, what, 25-hour drive, we'll say. 20-hour drive from here to there. Could you imagine how ridiculous it would be? for a family to get in a car right now, drive all the way to Yellowstone, park the car, get out in front of the sign, arms around the sign, taking selfies and pictures. Yes, we've arrived, we're at Yellowstone. And then get back in the car, turn around and drive back to Iowa. It would be crazy, right? Complete, utter foolishness. They haven't even entered the park. They saw the sign, but they haven't experienced the park. They should be picnicking next to running beautiful waters, witnessing waterfalls and seeing hills and boulders and wildlife grazing throughout the park. They should be experiencing the park. The same is true. The Sabbath in the Old Testament is an indicator. It is a sign that ultimately points God's people to the true Sabbath, the true rest, the fulfillment, the deeper meaning and understanding of what it is to rest in God, which ultimately we find in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus can say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, who, all, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus is the true Sabbath. 
He, he redefines what it means to find our rest in God and to trust in him. Jesus is that for us. The Mosaic Sabbath served as a precious gift from God, a reminder that they are to stop working and start trusting in God. This principle finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what's the purpose? Why this? This next two points will go faster, I promise. What's the purpose behind this principle? What's the purpose behind this Sabbath? Another way of asking this question is, what kind of people need to be commanded to rest? Some of us might be thinking right now, I wish you would give me permission to take a nap. I'm ready for it. What kind of people need to have this baked into their law code? Take a day off. I'm going to answer it in three ways. The first is, what kind of person needs to hear this? The person who's designed for it. Okay? Genesis 127, we'll find out that we learn that God made us in his image. We are reflections of him. He took his very nature and stuck it in us when he made us. Genesis 2-3, we learn that God worked for six days and then rested. The, the appeal then in Exodus 28-11 through 11 is, is that God's rest for us, it's in his nature. And so therefore it should be for us a part of our design that we are people who long for rest. And the Sabbath comes to us as a reminder of our limitations. As much as we kick against them and think that we are unlimited and very capable, the truth is we are a limited people. And while we are made in God's image, we are also fallen and we are flawed. And we're not able to do all that God is able to do. And so we are dependent, limited people. And the Sabbath is a constant reminder of our need. It's baked into our design. Secondly, what, what else, what other type of people need to hear this? The type of people who are not just designed to rest, but also the type of people who are designed to worship. The people who are designed, who are created with the very purpose of bringing glory to the living God. That's the type of people who need to hear this. Notice the text says that we're to keep a Sabbath holy. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. The time that God has given to us is to be given back to him for his use, how he sees fit, fit as our act of worship. By ceasing from our work, we are reminded that we are not defined primarily by our productivity or by our consumption for that matter. One Old Testament scholar put it like this, Sabbath provides a visible testimony that God is at the center of our life, that we are vessels designed to bring glory and honor and worship to God, that human production and consumption take place in a world ordered, blessed, and restrained by the God of all creation. Our inability to rest and stop from work is an indication that we are believing the lie that life is completely under our control. Our ability to cease from our work is our attempt to claim to be God. And I don't know if you've noticed, we aren't. We aren't. The Sabbath is a regular reminder for us that as much as we want to be God, there's only one true God. We're limited. The fourth commandment forces us ultimately to trust in him. Whether we're working for, for the luxuries that maybe life has to offer or the basic needs, 
Maybe our work is just a matter of survival. The Sabbath reminds us, regardless of where you are on that kind of continuum, the Sabbath reminds us that there is more to who we are than our jobs or what is in our bank account or the package that's in its way, on its way to our front step from Amazon right now. Our life is not dependent on our ability to put our nose down and grind it out. Rather, we are dependent on God's wonderful provision and his endless grace. By intentionally setting aside time for rest unto the Lord, we're reminding ourselves that God is the center of our life and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming from, down from the Father of lights. So we're designed for rest, we're designed for worship. And then thirdly, what other purpose does it serve? Well, if you look at this, what's again awesome about this passage is that you'll see that we're actually designed for good. So the idea is God's blessed us with the Sabbath and what you see in the text is that that blessing doesn't just stay with us, but rather it, it transforms and it blesses the entire society. Look at the emphasis in the text. This is not just for those who are practicing the Sabbath, but for those, but also their children, their servants, their foreigners, their animals. The whole society has the benefit from the institution of the Sabbath rest. Now consider his audience. These are people who had been 400 years in slavery, their identity was not arresting people. Their identity was a working people. They were oppressively held by the hand of Pharaoh, forced to make bricks day after day after day after day. No rest. This is who they were. Can you imagine how awesome it was to hear this news that their very identity is being transformed? But it was also not just a reminder of God as their provider, the provider of rest. It was also a protection for them because they're human beings. And odds are, if they don't have some protection, they will do what was done to them. The Sabbath keeps them from exploiting, exploiting their neighbors, their employees. The Sabbath keeps them from saying, listen, I'm taking a rest, but you kids go out in the field and start getting to work. But rather, the whole society was blessed the blessing was passed down from God's people and the whole society would feel its effects. They would now work as a free people, no longer under the hand of, of oppression and bondage because they now knew the freedom and they had to be careful not to exploit those around them as well. The Sabbath was something that the whole world around them would benefit from. So you see sort of twin purposes here. The purpose, one, is to bring glory and honor to God but also there's the purpose to bring blessing and benefit to the world, to the community, for ourselves. So it could be said in some way, yes, you are commanded to keep the Sabbath, but actually the Sabbath keeps you. It keeps me. That's the truth. So the question then is, finally, how do we practice this? Here's the deal. Our culture doesn't want you to practice this. And it seems like in an increasing rate. Our there's one Old Testament scholar that, that considers Sabbath to be a form of resistance, of resisting being formed by a culture that just says, you are what you make, you are what you do, and you are what you consume. The Sabbath says, I don't think so. Not quite. Our culture wants to embrace and, and hold up a fast-paced life, nonstop living, keeping up with the Joneses, if you will, uh, a environment, a culture of survival of the fittest. Don't sleep. Your neighbor's going to get ahead of you. Just keep going. If you ask somebody today, maybe at a barbecue, 
how are you doing? We've talked about this before. Odds are, 9 out of 10 will say the first thing out of their mouth, I'm busy. How are you doing? Busy. I'm busy. I'm oh, just really busy. You got kids, you got a job, school, whatever. I'm just busy, 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 right? I think there's probably three reasons why people say, at least maybe if we're just being honest, why I say I'm busy. First is sometimes it's like a, a good way to sort of preemptively keep you from asking anything from me, right? If I make you feel like I'm just slammed, then how can you ask to borrow my truck or spend time with me like earlier this, later this week? You know, I just, ah, I'm anticipating your ask. I'm busy, you know, so maybe you won't ask me anything. That's one reason. And the other reason is because we are busy, right? We are busy. Our schedules are full. There's activities. There's work. There's school. There's never a good time to fill in the blank because we're busy. And the third, and I think the most dangerous of the three, is that because busyness in our day and age has been held up and assigned a virtue. It is virtuous. The busy you are, well, that must mean the more important you are. The busy you are, the more meaningful life is. The busy you are, the more necessary you are. The cooler you are, whatever. The more successful you are. Busyness is like a badge that we want to wear. And say, when somebody asks me, it's just the first thing on your mouth, how you doing? I'm busy. It's a way to say, hey, I matter. So how do you practice this Sabbath rest in an environment like that? Well, the, the secular world is a pattern that they've established, which goes like this. Work, 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 vacation. Vacation. That's, that's what you do. But any of us who've done that knows that actually doesn't work. The planning for the vacation, oftentimes there's such a thing as you need it. You come back from vacation and you need a vacation from the vacation you're exhausted. All your hopes and dreams going into this one, two, three week period. And before you know it, you come back and life's a total disappointment because vacation was not as awesome as you thought it was going to be. The world does things like that. The pattern that God has given us as his people is very different. And it goes like this. Work, Sabbath. Work, Sabbath. Work, Sabbath. On and on and on. It keeps us from doing the other so how do you do that? Well, the first is this. You have to trust in Christ. We said before that trust and rest go hand in hand. And it is, have you ever tried to rest in somebody's presence whom you don't trust? Another way of asking the question, have you ever tried to get comfortable in a car with a teenager who's learning to drive? <laughs> the answer would be no because you're terrified that you and the rest of the civilization is possibly at risk of losing their life, okay? Because it's terrifying, right? Somebody who, who's learning something like that and your life's in their hand, you can't take a nap? Are you kidding me? Trust and rest go hand in hand. You can, I can take a nap when my wife is driving the car. I can't, it's no offense to my kid who's learning right now, he's doing a great job. But it's just, it would be irresponsible for me to take a nap while he's driving, okay? You cannot rest if you don't have a God who you can trust. And God has shown himself so trustworthy. Since creation, there was a rest that God wanted his people to know. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. That's the truth. But because of our sin, 
Some have never experienced the rest that we were designed, really created for. Rather than trusting God, we're tempted to trust our own efforts, our own accomplishments, and our own accolades. That is the story of humanity, justified by our own work. And I don't know about you, but to me, that lifestyle is exhausting. It's exhausting. It's, it's like pushing a boulder up a hill just to watch it fall down the next day. Endless. It can't happen. Your work will never be enough. It will never stop. It will never be good enough. You'll never be satisfied. You won't be able to rest. The author of Hebrews draws a remarkable analogy between the gospel of free grace and the Sabbath in chapter 4. The writer says, There remains then a rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God rested from his. When we find salvation through Christ by his grace, we rest from the most debilitating work of all, the work of establishing our own work through our efforts, the work of earning our own salvation. But God has graciously given his people rest. What we were designed to experience, what your heart's deepest longing is, God freely gives it to you in Jesus Christ. We get to rest in him ultimately because we trust the work that he accomplished on our behalf. The number one way that you can practice the Sabbath is by ceasing from your efforts and throwing your, your life in Jesus' arms, who says, come to me all who, are, who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Trust him. He's faithful with his word. How else can we do this? If you're a follower of Jesus, give me maybe two more ways to practice. Trust in Jesus Befriend silence. Second one, befriend silence. Silence, prayer, solitude, reading, contemplation are all vital ways for the people of God to remain deeply rooted in God and to experience the rest and, and really savor the rest that we have in Christ. How do you befriend silence? Well, first of all, you have to plan for it. Silence is rare in our world. Not just are our schedules filled, but oftentimes our ears are too. And I fight this temptation as well as anybody. Where, get in the car, turn on the radio. Go for a jog, put on the earphones. Constantly noise and, you know, podcast music, all great things. But silence is so rare in our day and age. Become a friend to silence. Become a friend to silence. Fight for it. Plan for it. Thirdly, pursue friendships. How do you obey? I might see more. How do you obey Sabbath rest? I would say pursue friendships as a way of finding joy in life and leisure. Sometimes people don't want to be alone because they don't want to be alone. I don't want to take a break because I ain't got nobody to take a break with. <laughs> so why would I do that? Many of you may know the comedian John Mulaney who, who credits 
this as one of Jesus's greatest miracles. What was Jesus's greatest miracle, according to this comedian? The fact that he was a 30-some-year-old man and had 12 friends. That's a miracle. And I would say, yeah, how do you pull that off? Pursue friendships. Now, for many of our, I think right now when I think of Parkview specifically, um, women have been really good. I just watched this happen naturally in our church, where through the pandemic, you know, if loneliness has been an epidemic in our culture for years, and all COVID did was kind of exasperate that, right? It's been so cool to watch the women this past year come together in groups and friendships and uh, different groups that continue to meet, Zoom in person throughout the year. I think it's, it's one thing that I think, my goodness, the women are, are just really leading in that area in a really phenomenal way. The men, it's a little trickier. It's a little trickier for the men. Um, I think friendship is one oftentimes that men don't naturally pursue and gravitate towards in the church. But... What you see, studies show it all over the place. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, there are so many benefits to having, forming friendships. This saying has been said before, and I think it's true. Those who eat Twinkies together live longer than those who eat broccoli alone. <laughs> and I think, actually, it's funny, but science actually supports it, that those who have formed meaningful friendships actually live longer. They, they do. And so let's be a church that leans into that, okay, so that when we're taking a break that we have somebody to just enjoy life with. If you're a woman here and you want to get connected in some of those groups, Andrea Gaston would love to, do, to connect you into any of the groups where that's happened. She's a women's director at Parkview. I'd encourage you to reach out to her. You can find her info on the website or Stephanie or Jay or any of the ladies here. Just it happens here so naturally. So um, if you're a man, uh, there's an opportunity on July 15th. We're going to have a men's breakfast on July 15th at Central Campus, 6.30. Any man's invited. Just a time for food and just forming friendships, encouragement in God's word. And so if you're thinking, well, where do I start? Put that on your calendar. July 15th is Thursday morning, Central Campus at 6.30, one hour. I know it's early, but it'll be worth it. Finally, how do we, how do we practice Sabbath in a world that is hurried and fast-paced? Probably what most of you are doing right now. Give a day to the Lord. Give a day to the Lord. The first Christians had inherited from their Jewish tradition, that the habit of gathering together on a special day each week for prayer, fellowship, and instruction from the Word. In the Jewish tradition, that would have been Saturday. With the early church, the Christians adopted Sunday because of Jesus Christ resurrecting on Sunday. So that became the day that they set aside for the sake of worship. In Hebrews chapter 10, we are commanded not to neglect meeting together. Sunday mornings is simply not something that just sort of fits into our schedule. And it's not a day that prepares us for the next week or even for more work. Sunday isn't a day you take off so you become a more effective worker. Sunday is a day that you, the Christian church has given to the Lord because it's a way to honor him, and to step into his rest and experience his blessing. So let's be a church that embraces the Sabbath rest. Rest from our labor. Trust in our God.
What a privilege that is. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much that you're a God who just anticipates our needs, Father, and recognizes our tendencies, our tendencies towards work, productivity, um, towards exalting ourselves above others. And as we just consider the, this fourth commandment, Lord, let it be a, a word that shapes us as a people who keep you first and who take the blessings that we've received from you and extend them out to those around us, Lord. We love you. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.